And boom, here we are. We are now live. And in 1 Samuel is where we are at. We are in our second study of Samuel. We started last week about uh, Hannah and um, how God blessed her with the son that she so wanted. And it's the great man of God, Samuel. And Hannah was a great woman of God as she turned her son over to the Lord in every way. Complete dedication. And Samuel is now going to rise to be a prophet in our chapter uh, 3. We're going to be 3 and 4 tonight, I think is what we're going to be into. But we've known the story of Samuel and... uh, I think quite well down through the years and at the same time um, we don't want to be quite so hasty because there's always something else there that uh, maybe we kind of missed and maybe didn't focus on enough. There's some unfamiliar dimensions of this event that we have and I think it would be the key to our understanding of the meaning of this uh, text. The rise of Samuel is found in chapter 3 And to become a position of a prophet, in chapter 4, you have the account of the defeat of Israel, the death of Eli's sons, and Eli, and also his daughter-in-law. So quite the judgment that God gives, at the same time he brings up Samuel, and he gets rid of all the other ones. Judgment takes place in chapter 4. Chapter 3, we see God's hand at work preparing Samuel for leadership role that he's going to uh, be doing as he becomes a prophet and a judge of the nation of Israel. We are during the time of the judges. Samuel really is the last judge and uh, maybe the best judge of them all. Uh, We definitely see great leadership in him and he's getting ready to issue in and usher in what would be a new kind of section where we deal with how God is going to use Samuel and then later on David. So that's where we're at tonight. And uh, we'll have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your greatness, your goodness. Thank you for giving us truth and uh, explaining to us by your Spirit what uh, your Word is about. And as we look at Samuel, we see his rise and we see that your judgment has to come upon people who are not obedient to you, not listening to you. And we also see that your Word comes alive again as there had been a silent time. And now you speak. Speak to Samuel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So chapter 3, pick it up, verse 1. Now the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Get that. Visions were infrequent. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place, now his eyesight had began to grow dim and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. The Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. It happens again. Then it happens again. Um, he's called a boy here. Uh, Samuel is, and that can mean a young man, probably in the area of 12, 13, a young teenager. He's learning the ropes of how to minister to the Lord. Um, uh, I would say as he is doing things for Eli, who knows, he's kind of like maybe like a water boy. Whatever Eli needed as a priest, you know, preparing things, um, oil for the lamps, whatever, you know, helping out and learning how you serve. So he had good uh, ideas of what it is to minister to the Lord. 
It's kind of interesting. It says in verse 1, and word from the Lord was rare in those days. They didn't hear Him speak. Uh, visions were infrequent. That means God really wasn't speaking to them at that time. No speaking terms. That's sad. The silence... you remember that song by Simon and Garfunkel? The Sounds of Silence? How about the sounds of silence from God? But he doesn't speak anymore. It's a form of divine judgment. And if that wasn't broken, that time period, uh, Israel and their, uh, I guess, life as a nation as we know it would have just been done. That would have been it. But God always intervenes, doesn't He? Now, there's a couple of passages that are ahead of this time. David wrote Psalms, or at least many of the Psalms, right? Turn to Psalm 74.9. We know this is later on in time, but it all also applies to what happened in the past. Uh, 74.9 says, We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. Anyway, that's actually not written by David. It was a, a, a mascal of Asaph. But it was written somewhere during that, that time. So it's a little bit ahead of time of Samuel. But you can see that that's how it is. Um, they, you know, they hadn't heard from God. There's no prophet to speak to them. In Micah, even later on, this is written in chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, it will be night for you without vision and darkness for you without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets and the day will become dark over them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners will be embarrassed. Indeed, they will all cover their mouths because there is no answer from God. So that's sad, isn't it? That's what's happening as we're introduced to uh, Samuel chapter 3. And this is why Samuel plays a key role. Makes sense, doesn't it? So it happened that time that Eli was lying down in his place. And you'll notice that it, it includes uh, how his eyesight was. It was growing dim. He couldn't see well. Later on, he just doesn't see at all. And that's the way it goes. I noticed uh, yesterday, it seems like I had a combination of floaters and uh, what else happens to older people? Cataracts, right? I felt like I had both of those yesterday. And I felt like I was kind of going dim in my eyes. I think I know what that word means. Not being able to see very bright. And that's the way that uh, Eli is. And so the details here, like in verse 2, kind of help us understand what the setting is. You've got Eli, his eyesight, uh, can't see. Then at verse 3, And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So he's real close to the ark. That's where he would uh, lay down and sleep at night, at the temple there, the tabernacle. Anyway, uh, the lamp of God, of course, that's representing light, isn't it? Eli's light is going out, but here Samuel is in this place where, you know, the candlesticks, I think we talked about that Sunday, didn't we? And, you know, they would be trimmed and the oil would be put in there and such. And those lights would stay on from dark all the way through the night till whenever it would be morning time and the light would come out from the sun. So that's how long they would have it. So somewhere during that time period, it would have been probably early hours of the morning when Samuel gets this visit from God. Um... Anyway, Eli probably needed a lot of help, don't you think? He needed a lot of help in even seeing things. It's just like, you know, we take 
Bibles do this a lot, right? <laughs> it's nice to have somebody around that can, if you don't have glasses, <laughs> to kind of help you out a little bit there. So that, you know, that's what Samuel does. And so he gets this call. And um, we see that it happens once, twice, three times. On the third time, Eli gets the message. <laughs> that wasn't me. That's God, right? It's got to be God. He's going to tell you something. So the young lad assumes he's hearing the voice of Eli. Now he finds out that it's actually God. And you'll notice verse 7 says a lot too. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. He knows a lot of things about the tabernacle and worship and about God. He always knows about the scripture. But guess what? I think it means that he hasn't been converted. He does not know the Lord. The Lord calls Samuel again for the third time. He rose, verse 8, and went to Eli and said, Here I am, and for you called me. Then Eli discerned. The Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. It shall be, if he calls you that, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Well, God wasn't speaking to the nation of Israel because the people weren't listening. And Eli says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So in verse 10, Lord came, stood, called out as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Well, it will tingle in Samuel's or Eli's ears shortly, one day. In that day, I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. It's great judgment. So Samuel lay down until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Well, here we are. Eli grasped the situation here. He knows God's calling Samuel. And you know what? I think Eli's real nervous. Because I think he knows that God has a word to speak. Samuel responds to God once he calls again there, and there's the first revelation to him. God announces to Samuel that here is the news that's going to tingle the ears of certain people. It's no exaggeration. It does happen. And in fact, the prophet Samuel is going to replace Eli as far as leadership is concerned. A prophet and a judge, and he has to minister there. Uh, prophecy is given to Eli through Samuel at a very early age. That's about the same time then when he's knowing the Lord, isn't it? And what you're going to get, he's going to speak about the defeat of Israel, the death of Eli's sons, it's going to be an imminent event. And so the message is given to Samuel to focus on Eli's sins, really more than on the sins of even his sons. We know what the sons were doing out in front of the tabernacle as they waited for women to come there. Womenizers, I guess. More specifically, God indicates here that He's bringing about judgment on Eli and his whole house obviously on on his sons. You know, the thing is, is that he didn't do anything to hinder them. He didn't do anything to stop them. Now we knew, because of chapter 2 and verse 22, that he did 
rebuked them, didn't he? He did rebuke them. 22. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, Why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. It's so his rebuke is all found right there. And yes, he did do that. But he failed to go beyond what his words were. He had a verbal rebuke, but he didn't stop them. And they continued to do what they did. So what is left is judgment. Judgment is imminent here in chapter 3. We read about it in chapter 2. Then here it is in 3, and it's Samuel who's going to tell Eli this. Now, um, when it takes place, it's going to be a little bit further down the road. We don't know how many years, but there's some time that passes by. Samuel continues to grow. Um, we know that there's only judgment that is going to be left. It's like the point of no return. But the sad thing is that you do not see Eli even repent. You know, it's not like he, he, he does not even bring it out. He just takes the word from the sovereign Lord and it sounds pretty good in the sense of, hey, God is God. You know, God's going to do what He's going to do. But... He did not repent, even though it was probably even beyond the time of repentance there. So that's the first part. We uh, I think we got up to verse 15. What's that? I think he just grew weary. Because you know you what conversation we were just having earlier. It's like you tell you tell people what sin is. You tell them, then you tell them, and you tell them. These are his kids, and, and the he's same, tired of talking to them. They're not and listening. And the same thing, what we face with is that the culture yep. is telling them something totally different. So we sit there and say, you know, you sit there and said, you're living in sin. But you sit there and said, that did, I mean, so you sit there and said, do you know what that means? And they go, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, I know what that means. But it doesn't, it doesn't echo of, doesn't echo in their hearts that it's not it's like well you sit there and say it's sin but yeah I've heard you know there's then there everybody's oh you know like they just blow it off it's almost like it's something that maybe you know whenever it's going on in the Christian community yeah but yeah. because other is, Christians will tell them the same still, thing but still back exactly. to that person because like we all deal with that exactly too. if somebody tells you you're in sin and you think eh, I don't think you quite understand the circumstance right but you still have to deal with God. You have to go before God and go, is that a sin? I mean, you know, and that's that part. That's why we talk about church discipline. That's why you do all that. It is to point it out. And they might get mad for a while, but you hope that there is a restoring that's done with them by the Lord to look at what's going on there. But anyway, you I want you want those like, you want them to be restored. That's the whole like idea. Like they didn't even think it was worth his. He told them. He kind of said, hey, I heard you guys are doing stuff that ain't right. And he didn't. Um, he said, well, like, oh, culture's done them. Yeah, let's, let's read that. Let's hit it in 15. Samuel lay down until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Now, Samuel is real hesitant here. Yeah. He doesn't really want to tell Eli this. Can you blame him? He's a young teenager at best. You know, how's he going to tell Eli, the great priest, this? But he heard it from the Lord. Well, Eli helps him out with it. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. He said, what is the word that he spoke to you? <laughs> Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. Okay, I'll tell you. Doesn't have any choice. Oh, yeah. That's right. So Samuel told him everything. Hid nothing from him. Here's what Eli said. It is the Lord. It's Yahweh. 
Let him do what he seems good to him. Well, at first, that's, that sounds good. Because he knows a sovereign God. But what, he's, what he should have done is he should have just you know, hit the floor and started repenting and asking God for forgiveness, even if he's going to still do it. Well, beat up you the know. boys and make them stop doing what they're doing. Or cast them out yeah. from any position there. Don't mm-hmm. let them, you know, take the rest of the men and, um, and take them out and mm-hmm. cast them out. Or they actually should be stoned. But anyway, so, yeah, I mean, if he... So was, I mean, that's a true repentance, is that when you realize that they're, they're mockery in the face of God... What should you do? And back then, especially they knew what to do. You clean house. You clean house partially. Yeah, we. Uh, he definitely submits to God's will and His sovereignty, right? He knows that God is that good. He knows God is a judging God. He knows that God is a holy God. God does those things. So uh, He's really not willing to change here, to repent. What we read is is not a, an expression of faith here on God's sovereignty, but really fatalism. Yeah. There is a Just difference. A term, seems good to him. Yeah, it's fatalism. Like, it's like, oh, well, whatever, you know. It's all, uh, he has given up. Yeah. Been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> But again, you know, people back on earlier as well, because uh, two, God says there said that. What did you say? But uh, twenty-five, listen to the voice of their father. Yeah, when he did say something, and the Lord desired to put them to death. So that's why I said said. I think that he could have went ahead and like been shown. Well, for what he was doing, wasn't death the penalty in the old? Yeah. Yeah, I think at that point he could have repented of, you know, like, realized he's let everything slide and then went ahead and took his sons and said, you know, you've been warned and now, you know, now there's a consequence. And even if it still happens to him, at least you see him in repentance, knowing, and, you know, it's, you know, he definitely knows it, but there's a difference between fatalism and the sovereignty of God. And a lot of people will just pass it up. Well, God's going to do what He's going to do. But on the other hand, He's telling, hey, here's what you need to do. You know, So there is the responsibility of man. So sovereignty of God, uh, you know, Protestant theology, Reformation theology, you know, pushes the sovereignty of God, but never what fatalism is. And that's what a lot of people think that we believe in fatalism. But it takes in the responsibility of man. Even though God does the work and the action. It's because it's kind of interesting. It's, it's to let... It's just like, well, in the case of here of what, what uh, Eli is saying, okay, well, God's going to do whatever He's going to do. You know? And that's true. There's, there's, God's going to do that. But yet, he still is calling out in his mercy and love to repent or you know to to uh, confess your sin, to realize where you're what you've done. And Nineveh did repent, so mm-hmm. the Lord did not carry out the judgment. And there was a message given out by the prophet about uh, you know about repent. And he didn't want to give them any good news. He wanted them to all be, you know, judged completely, which they would have been. But no, they did repent. And so therefore, that's what God does. But fatalism is on the part of man. It's whatever's going, whatever will be, will be, right? Remember that one? Whatever shall be, shall be. Que sera, sera. I feel like it's almost like a hardening of heart where you're... Like so, maybe mad and angry that you're like, you know what? I'm gonna do whatever you want. Yeah. And you're like, I'm not gonna change. I'm not gonna do anything different. I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna continue doing what I'm doing, and you do whatever you're gonna do. Right. And God just yeah. told him he was gonna take him down with his sons because mm-hmm. of his. Yeah. I think he was old and worn out and said, whatever. Yeah. And he is old. I'm just, I'm not doing anything. I'm just 
whatever you do it. I think it should have stopped a long time ago. I mean, he waited until he was an old man to tell his sons that, you know, you're sinning against God himself by doing what you're doing. You know, he's telling me, he even said there's sacrifices for all these other sins when you sin against the old man, but you're sinning against God. Who's going to save you from that? This should have been taken care of. It wasn't. He let it go. And by the way, this does the judgment just doesn't happen at you know the next day or that same day. No, there's years that go by. So here we have verse 19. Thus Samuel grew. We have the prophecy, right? God spoke to him. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. So Samuel spoke from the Lord. That's a mark of a prophet, isn't it? A prophet will say things and they come true. That's a mark of a true prophet. So, And he's accredited as a prophet as time goes on. We'll read that in a moment here. But all Israel from Dan, even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So, you know, definitely God is revealing things to him. He speaks the word to the people, and they recognize it. So he is now credited as a prophet of God. And he had an encounter and even had another appearance here from God. He's definitely a believer, isn't he? A strong believer, becoming that that prophet. So, so what, what he appeared like? what's that? Well, he appeared. Oh. So, I wonder what what his appearance was like for Samuel. We don't know. Like a vision. Uh, uh, of course, God appeared in many different ways before, didn't he? We know. Uh, as far as Moses is concerned, there was the burning, burning bush and, and the rock that traveled with right him to the desert. The at the fire by night, cloud by day, fire by night, you know, different ways. Yeah. This time it just says that you know he, he's there speaking with him. You know, and uh, so that's all we're given there. I wish so he was there with the ark. So do you think maybe the ark glowed or something like that, and that's how he knew it was? Well, I mean, it says that the the holy of holies would fill up with the presence of the Lord. So I mean. Well, it says he revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So I'm guessing Samuel was reading Read the word. Probably. <laughs> and it's been spoken to him. Yeah. It definitely, whenever there's certain prophecies to be made, like this one, he, you know, he just didn't make that one up. He, right. There's no way that he wanted to tell. Eli, the priest who really helped raise him, you know, I'm sure he thought of a lot of Eli. There's a lot of good things about Eli. And he served the Lord. He really did. You know, but we see the attitude and what's going on. So it, it's quite a period of time. Who knows how long it could be, but it's probably a few years when judgment does happen. I want to go back to the Word. The Word became flesh. I know. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought of. Jesus Christ. <laughs> By the Word of the Lord. When I when we read this verse seven, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. I don't know really exactly what extent that means, but I'm wondering, Eli did raise Samuel, and I, they're supposed to teach the children from the beginning, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept, and and the way. Eli's sons turned out, it sounds like Eli's not teaching them the word of the Lord at all. At all. Yeah. That's, That's what, what it sounds like, like, doesn't it? Yeah. And also, I, I think... They're just going through the rituals. They're not... Right. Yeah. They, yeah. It, looks yeah. Like, it looks like what you were saying. Samuel was just like a little water boy. He was just doing just little, the duties, little errands. The duties, but not getting the teaching. Mm-hmm. They know it so well with the back of their hand. They mm-hmm. grew up to it. But he's not teaching like he's supposed to teach. Now, Eli, I think, was not lost. His sons, probably so. But 14, it says, And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house 
shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. forever. That is so harsh. Yeah. That's a condemnation. Which makes me wonder makes me wonder if, if Christ's sacrifice is a better sacrifice. It, would, would there come a time in anyone's life where they think they're doing okay, they think they're doing okay, and and they they do something, or there's just some point where their sins not going to be purged with any sacrifice. That's like those. I don't know how to ask what I'm trying to ask. It's kind of like um, when the Lord says, you know, you can deny my Father, you can deny me, but deny the Holy Spirit, and there's no forgiveness for you. And then, you know, at the end of Revelation, it says anyone who alters his word, that they'll suffer the judgments according to Revelation. And then the ones where, what's their name? They lied to the Holy Spirit about the money. Ananias and Sapphira. He says, how has the devil deceived you so? You have not lied to man, but to the Holy Spirit. And then, bam, dead. So, I mean, it almost feels like another one of those situations there in that verse. Except Eli gets to live for some length of time with a sword of Damocles hanging over his head. He knows it's coming. He knows that yeah. the judgment has been made. I mean, I think that's why Eli was like, you know, I already got the revelation from Samuel. I'm a dead man. Yeah. And my children are yeah. dead because and, they've done And there's sin. no salvation. And he just... Think there is for Eli. Sure so do you think Eli will be do you think he's condemned to hell? I really believe Eli he's he's talking about Eli's house here, which would be talking about like his family. It'd be his sons here in this case. And because of that, you know, that Eli, even though he was disobedient, he did serve the Lord, he's a priest. We don't see that him doing the things that his sons did. But he didn't take action in what he should have done rather than just, you know, rebuke him. He should have done much more than that. And so I don't know how often he rebuked him. Might have only been once. Who knows? But I tend to think, yeah, Eli seems to be a man who knows God. Very, um, I guess you could say, limited. Is it? Like for mine here in thirteen it says, For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sins he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. So it is it sounded like, you know, he failed to restrain his kids and their sins and he knew about it. And I mean we even have that previous verse where he like told him to stop. So that's a hard one because I mean, isn't our inaction right as much a sin as our action? But the, I'm just yeah. saying. But yeah. the, sin, the sins of the son were the ones that the Lord said that He was going to. It, right. There was going to be. Yeah, he, I forgot. No repentance. Right. He, there was no repentance. And Eli, I don't. Eli doesn't have a defiant sin. Right, right. That's why in the case of his family here, his sons, they're guilty of presumptuous sin. They just defy, you know, what they know that that's wrong. They they know enough. And, you know, it's just like being religionized. You know, all the outward stuff. Matter of fact, you've heard of whether it be pastor's kids or deacon's kids. They've been around all their life. They They were taught you know, maybe maybe some things. Maybe uh, there were uh, devotions. and Maybe there was a constant trying... And the thing is, even though those kids could be raised the, in the right way all the way through, and we know about that, don't we? And yet, you teach them about the things of the Lord, and yet it is... They're there. They come to church. They've been to church for years, but it's not here. It's not in the heart. And that's probably what, what it was with them. Finally, they got to the point where it didn't matter to them at all. And we see them do these defiant sins. And that's why God pronounces well, that kind of judgment upon them. Eli's so fat and yeah. old that he couldn't stop his kids if he wanted to. Yeah, what chance would he have, right? And I think kind of like, I think more how it could be would be, you know, you as a pastor, 
let's say you have sons of your own, and then you know that your sons are sinning and they live a life of sin, yet you make them the leaders and like the musicians and the youth group leaders of your church. You know, to me, that's what it would. That's good point. That's 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 right where we're at. That's finds it. But I do think Samuel's kind of funny guy because he gets he gets his vision from God. He sleeps all night and he doesn't know how to say. Well, we decided to say he's a boy. Oh, he was very young. He's still nervous. He doesn't know how to bring it. He's hesitant, and and this is the great priest. And Eli's just like, tell me what he. (laughs) <laughs> you couldn't ask for an easier opportunity because the you know there's several moments in my life where it's like how am I gonna talk about this or how am I gonna bring this conversation up and then it's like as I go to that place it's like they already want to know and it's like oh well this made it a lot easier yeah. but it's still nerve wracking. God opened it up right yeah. and He does that and that's good. Well, let's go into chapter four. This is now. Where the judgment happens, years pass, and it starts with Israel. Then it'll go to the sons, and then Eli. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. He's speaking to them, right? Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped in Aphek. The Philistines drew up the battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. 4,000 Israelites now have been killed. The Israelites are thinking, Hey, we've got the ark. If we, have the, we can win this against the Philistines. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. Well, you see, the Israelites have been dominated by the Philistines for quite some time. They are slaves of the Philistines. The battle breaks out. 4,000 Israelites are killed. They can't understand how God would allow them to suffer this kind of defeat. So without fasting, without prayer, without consulting God, they come up with this great idea called rabbit foot theology. You heard of rubbing the rabbit foot? What does that mean? Good luck. And that's the way that they look at the ark. It's not viewed as a symbol of God's presence. It's a magic lamp. You know, it's genie and... uh, you know, the bottle and such, right? So, you know, wherever they take it, they'll surely win. They'll be blessed. We'll take the ark when we go into battle tomorrow and we will win that. The the plan just backfires, you know, immensely. Uh, we see here that uh, it says in 4, So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who sits above the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. How religious they are, right? They were brave to get that close to They don't know the holiness of God at all. So as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth resounded. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the noise of the great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. You know what they're saying? Uh-oh. They just defeated them before. But now they hear about the Ark. They were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who smote the Egyptians. They know the story, don't they? With all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you'll become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. They were ready to melt. And somebody says, hey, we got to fight. Even if we get killed, we've got to go fighting. So the Philistines fought, and you think, okay, the Israelites win, right? 
Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great. How great? For there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. That's a lot. 4,000, now 30,000. And the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So there we go. They died along with all those 30,000 soldiers. Now a man of Benjamin... We start the chapter and it says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So where is Samuel in all this? Where is he? Well, How could he let this happen? Maybe they should have gone to Samuel. They take this in on their own. They went out to all Israel and then they do this? Well, the word is out there and here's the people. You know, you know. Think about it. Because he's sitting there saying, So he's not Samuel. in the temple anymore because they're in Shiloh anymore because they came and took the ark. They, they come and take it. And Talk to Samuel. Well, I want to know where Samuel is. That's what I want to know. Where is Samuel in all this? Well, they should have sought him out. Yeah. Evidently, they, didn't, they did not seek the word of the Lord. They did not have prayer. They didn't consult God. They didn't consult Samuel, who they do know. And that's the whole point. They know what he has done and they com- they have commended him. And that you don't see Samuel here. It's because they're going to do their own thing. They think, oh, well, we'll just take this lucky piece ark here and go out and destroy them. Now, verse 12. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line, came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came, behold, that means he's mourning. He, you know, look at how many lives were just, just shed about all over the land. Eli was sitting on his seat. He was waiting to hear the news by the road, eagerly watching, and he can't see very good, He's listening because his heart was trembling for the ark of God. So the man came to tell it in the city, and all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he hears the noise. What does the noise of this commotion mean? Then the man came hurriedly and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old at this time now. So let's say if it's been 10 years. He was 88 before. He was already old enough. Now he's, he's 98. And his eyes were set so they could not see. So that's where his uh, eyes that were growing dim before, he's really, you might as well call him legally blind. I mean, he, he, he doesn't know what's going on visually. The man said to Eli, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I escaped from the battle line today. And he said, How did things go, my son? Then the one who brought the news replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There has also been a great slaughter among the people. And your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been taken. And I'm sure that has to really get to Eli. Not only his sons, but now the ark of God when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate and his neck was broken and he died for he was old and heavy. Thus he judged Israel 40 years. His 40 years is now done. He sees, he knows the defeat has happened and um, Hophni and Phinehas dead they, the, the ark as a trophy of war has been taken by the Philistines. I mean, this, this is it for him. It was like, you know, that's, that was enough. He just fell backwards. And I got a feeling the shock of it all killed him. Yeah, probably so. So, um, Hophni and Phinehas are, are done. Two sons of Eli die. Now we see Eli also dies. The word of the Lord is fulfilled here, but there's more divine judgment to come. Eli, you know, of course, you know, he experiences all of this, and the thing is, the dying is not even over yet. Because there's the wife of Eli's son. Uh, 19. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was pregnant. 
and about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was taken, at least she knows enough that that ark means the presence of God, and that her father-in-law and her husband had died, she kneeled down and gave birth for her pains came upon her. I mean, she wasn't ready to have birth yet. But because of this news that had happened, yeah, all the stress, and she gives birth right there. The pains of it, of it all started that then. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have given birth to a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she called the boy Ichabod. What does that mean? The glory of the Lord has left this place. That's what it says. The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God was taken. So sad, isn't it? The departure of God's glory. Actually, it sounds like she's right, but in another sense, she's wrong because the glory had already left. Had been long gone, departed from the tabernacle. And, you know, the ark is a manifestation of God to Israel there in the tabernacle. You see the nation there do some things that were not godly. Uh, they should have waited on the Lord if they were going to do something that serious. So they're not attentive to God's Word even though they recognize they do have a prophet amongst them. They should have turned to Him. Now, you know, the, even though the, the ark had been in the possession of the priest there in Shiloh, and in the, in the possession of you know Eli and the glory of God, though really had departed before that, and the way that uh, the sons had acted, the capture of the uh, ark really only symbolizes what's already true. It's certain that uh, God's glory had departed from Shiloh, but God's glory will never be hidden by sinful men anyway. Though Willie, yeah. And, of course, the next chapter will show that and how he will get that uh, back. It's rather humorous in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what does this teach about God? How gracious He is. He's holy. He's gracious. He breaks the silence. In being gracious, He had not been speaking to them for quite some time and he came in even though tragedy happens here Samuel is moving in now as as the leader God is sovereign he's gracious and he gets Samuel accredited before the people right. and maybe next time they might listen to him I think it's interesting is that he's credited before the disaster Mm-hmm. So it's like everybody acknowledges him, and, they and then the kids. disaster and their <clears throat> their current, you know, priest and you know the kids that were there are gone, and they have no excuse, and they have no one left to turn to except for <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting how God operates sometimes. God hates sin. He judges sinners who will not repent. He gives them a long leash sometimes. The priesthood was corrupt. They abused the office. The priests are thieves, the robbers. God seldom works in ways that we expect or predict. <laughs> we marvel at his wisdom here in how he's been in this. Look at the power, you know. He he actually has judgment that comes from the enemy. And so he passes the judgment through the enemies of, of God and of his people, the Philistines. And, of course, they take the ark to battle and God it will show his judgment upon them too. Um, yeah, fish God. Yeah. He starts having issues. 
dark shows up. Yeah, that kind of thing. God is working kind of behind the scenes here, isn't it? But He's really doing it mysteriously, ways that we would never ever think. The story just keeps being written as we go through there, doesn't it? What's it teach us about men? Well, men are men. We like it our way. Do do people seek God? No man seeks God. He seeks after them. Lost men are not seeking God today, even though God speaks. In Samuel's time, or before Samuel there, they weren't being ministered to by God. He was not giving them the Word. God calls men today just as He called Samuel long ago. He reveals His Word, but a word of the Lord is rare to them because they don't listen to it. Our purpose, like Samuel's, is to declare God's word to men and pray that they would respond. But men are not listening. What is it that Eli had told Samuel? He said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that's what God wants there. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is the spirit of the one who will hear the word of God. So, we covered two chapters tonight, folks. It's 7 o'clock. We are out of here, just as I said. (laughs) I didn't really know that we would get there done at 7, but we did. Even though I rusted along a little bit, sometimes I interrupted you guys, but very good comments. Let's close with the Word. Lord, thank You for this evening, and we know Your Word speaks. You're speaking today, loud and clear, all over the world. We have the gospel. We have good news to present to lost men and women. And we pray, Lord, that we can take that to the people and there would be response to your word. For if not, there will be judgment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I won't be able to go to the new, to the building today. Well, I have to run to do grocery shopping. What? Always an excuse, isn't Trust it? Trust me, hey, I made it. I almost didn't. <laughs> I had a flat tire when I got out of work. <laughs>